Good morning, family. Uh, my name is Randy. I am one of the elders here at Soma Tacoma. If you, for those of you who do not know me, glad to be with you here this morning. Before we get going in our series, uh, as we've been, as we started early fall, good news for everyone. I, I felt led by the Spirit to, as we are kind of past the halfway point, even uh, just to make a couple of notes that I'm observing, just what I feel like Spirit's doing with us. Um, each week, we're touching on some heavy topics that can really be unpacked a lot more. Sure, some of you guys may have felt that, and the tendency can be, um, I'm noticing at least for myself, um, like this is this feels a bit over, you know, overwhelming um, with what to do with these convictions and thoughts in your life and in your your community every week. I don't know if some of you guys might be feeling that. I know I do. I will never do a sermon series like this again, um, uh, uh, because I think. I think God's up to something, not because we made a mistake, I think we're doing exactly what God wants us to do, but he's doing something different than I thought um, originally when we started this series. I believe God is using this series to get these important conversations started in our church family. I think that's what he's up to. Last week in particular, when we talked about race, I believe God's just popping the top off the conversation um, to get us going. If you did not, if you were not able to hear that, please, please take some time to do that this week, it's online. I think God is helping us to learn and, and grow together as a family during this series. I believe God is taking us to a place where we can, we're starting to learn to hear him better together, his heart. I think he's shaking us up to know his gospel, even in a deeper way, humbling us so that we can know the power of the gospel in our lives. Um, I think God is opening us up to care for the things he cares about in our family and in our city a little bit more. That's what I think he's up to. And this is why I also want to remind us that the final gathering for this series is to celebrate together how God has been growing us as humble listeners during this series by sharing and hearing stories about the things he's doing among us. Heart changes that he's bringing about, deep convictions, desire to be baptized, etc. Like, things like that. I want us to make sure we're capturing stories in our missional communities, and I'll send out more info to MC leaders about that. Because at this gathering, we want to celebrate and make clear God is amongst us and he's, do, he's at work doing stuff in our lives. So I just wanted to say that up front and then before we got started this week, um, or today. So Father, I pray you'd fill me, you would open our hearts to hear you. I pray you would relinquish any fear of man that I'm enslaved to or battling with right now, and I would uh, be so impressed with you, Jesus. Would you just be lifted up right in front of me right now? Your glory is magnificent and wonderful. I pray you'd fill me. I pray you'd open us right now to hear you, that you would quiet our flesh, you'd quiet any voice that isn't from you. We have a lot to learn from you, so would you open us to hear from you, and uh, would you lead us to repentance and faith this morning for the good of our city and for ultimately the glory of you, Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So over the, over the, over the summer, Lisa and I began to wonder if we should foster to adopt. However, surprisingly, we found out uh, Lisa was pregnant with our fourth child a few months ago. Immediately, immediately, we, we decided to take um, the idea of fostering to adopt right off the plate. In fact, it wasn't much of a, a discussion at all. It was just assumed that taking in a kid now couldn't be possible. It couldn't be an option anymore. And this week, as, as I was praying and working through this, this sermon, God convicted me with the question, who ultimately gets to make the decision whether or not we are to foster to adopt? I sat with that for a while. And, and what I came to realize, my assumptive choice to not foster to adopt, it impacts me, it impacts my family, and, and a potential child in need of a family. And, and it didn't even cross my mind to discuss it 
and pray about it. It just seemed like the healthy, natural, and logical knee-jerk reaction uh, anyone who has a fourth child on the way would make. And I, I don't think it's actually crazy to assume that most of you here would probably agree with our decision and the, and the assumption that we made. Um, some of you um, were even concerned that there was a fourth child on the way to begin with, let alone bring a foster child in on top of that. But seriously, whose decision is it ultimately? Whose decision is it ultimately? My choice? God's? How does that even work out? Only between me and my family and God? Or ought it be with God and with God's people? These are very important questions. And, and this is where I actually want to go with our teaching on abortion today. It can become easy for talks on abortion to narrow in on talking only or predominantly about the woman and the unborn child and their rights. However, I, I believe the Bible urges us to talk about this topic in a much more holistic manner. There is a wider scope in how the Bible wants us to view all of life, which informs how we then ought to view abortion. And I think missing this conversation, it inhibits us from the joy of repentance and faith as a community and the power of the gospel being a witness to the city of Tacoma. Now, now to be clear, my goal today or expectation isn't, is not to get you all into the foster care system or to adopt starting tomorrow. Because if I'm, I'll be honest with you, Lisa and I are not there right now. I actually want us, what I want is I want us to go a little bit deeper into our heart as, as we look to grow as humble listeners and see where we might be subtly believing lies about who has ultimate authority over life and how that should impact our daily decisions. So I, I just want to invite you to come and listen and see what God might have for us. So here's where we're going to go today. First, how, how does God define life as we look at the beginning and end of the story? Two, how humanity ends up losing life. And then three, how Jesus gains life for humanity by losing his life. And then fourth, how the Spirit leads us as a community to find life by losing it first. And I have three of my friends that are going to share um, at the end. So first, how, does, how God defines life as we look at the beginning and end of the story in the beginning of the story, one thing is made very, very, very clear. We neither create ourselves, nor do we belong to ourselves. In the garden, God made humanity, and he made us for his glory and his purposes. Life is not about personal rights in the Bible. It's a gift from God. Life is God saying, we are his image bearers, and our purpose is to live for him. All life belongs to God, not us. And this life was made to be good. The garden gives us a beautiful picture of life that is abundant. Life with God is the abundant life, but God also made it clear what leads to death. He said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will you'll die. And choosing God is the abundant life, and we see, though, choosing anything else other than God and what he says is death. And in the end of the story... Revelation 21, verse 3, just one of the passages. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then Revelation 22, verse 1 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. God is the source of life. And there's a day the Creator will be present with His people, and on that day, death will be no more. Life to the fullest will be experienced because it will be with God, who is the source of life. It will be full, we will be fully with God. This is what we want, right? This is the abundant life. God's showing us, and God made it that way in the beginning, and he'll make it that way at the end. So how has humanity ended up losing its life? How did we mess this up? Life was meant to be determined by God. The fall in Genesis 3 is humanity's attempt to determine life apart from God. That's what happened when Adam and Eve chose to eat the tree, uh, the fruit of the tree God said they were not supposed to eat in Genesis 3. God, what he ends up doing is he removes them from the garden. And that removal is a picture of being removed far from God's presence. And that's a picture of true death, separation from God, because he is the source of life. We see this theme throughout the whole Bible. Anytime people attempt to find their life on their own way leads to eventual death. But here's what's deceptive. Here's what we get tripped up on. Just like Eve, who was enticed by the fruit, we are enticed by a choice that looks and feels like something that will give us a better life. But it ends up bringing about death. And from a pragmatic standpoint, men and women can tend to view abortion in a way that sounds enticing and healthy. On average, the top three reasons women choose abortion, they say that uh, having a baby would interfere with work, school, or other responsibilities. The second, top of three, they cannot afford a child. And then the third, they do not want to be a single parent or having problems with their husband or partner. And these reasons, they, they can sound convincing. It definitely seems like there would be a lot less stress, fear, and hardship to just end the pregnancy. In some ways, it, it sounds loving because you, you don't want to bring a child into this world to live a bad life. Or you don't have a loving spouse, therefore doing it on your own, it's scary and super intimidating. Or the thought of being rejected by others because you're pregnant and not married, it could be terrifying. What are people going to think about me? Or, or you don't have a loving and grace-filled community that will come alongside you and help walk through the new life situation with you. That is tough. That's daunting. Now here's the deal. Once your core identity is no longer determined by the creator, you have to seek ways to preserve and secure your life. We're all alone. We're without a dad. We're without a home. See, we weren't made to ultimately do that. This issue stems from humanity's false assumption that we have ultimate authority over life, both my life and the life of others. And that authority replacement between us and God is what leads me choosing my well-being above other persons. I'm trying to survive. Here's the deal. The greatest issue with abortion is not the act of killing, murdering, terminating an unborn child. As tragic as that is, and something we ought to grieve and take seriously... But the greater sin underneath that, the, the greatest issue that undergirds abortion is the assumption that humans have the authority to dispose of life that doesn't belong to us. You see, God creates life and we are to steward, as his image bearers, his creative work 
Because it ultimately all belongs to him. John 1 verses 3, 4 says it like this. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You see, if God is the giver of life, we are mere custodians of the life he creates. That's why it's the wrong question to even ask, well, when does, when does life really begin in the womb? Is it conception, implantation, second trimester, third trimester, once the baby is out? Regardless of your opinion, God created us to ask our creator, how do you want me to steward the life you are starting? We exist to steward God's creation for his purposes, not our own. And it's important to get the undergirding issue as to ensure we as a church realize we are all in need of rescuing from placing our personal authority above God's in this conversation. And I want to show some stats. Here are some statistics that show we all are struggling with similar issues in this area. Since Roe v. Wade in 1973, when abortion was legalized, we are well over now 55 million babies being aborted in the U.S. Also in 2014, 2014 there were 18,386 abortions performed according to Washington State Department of Health. Everyone is a life God began and a life we chose to end. Now let's look at, a ch- at children that have been born but are in desperate need. God doesn't just begin life. He desires to sustain and grow us up in life. There are approximately 10,000 foster children in Washington State. And the sad news is, as the foster care need increases, the foster homes are decreasing. And from looking at these stats, it doesn't reflect a people that make, in our city, that make kids a high priority or that make caring for children who are in desperate need a high value. I think this is what we have to wrestle with. Because God's heart shows us something different. God's heart towards children. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. God's heart, he thinks children, those in need, those unborn, they're a reward. Can we just sit for that for a second? God Almighty, the creator of all things, says children are a reward. All kinds of children. The needy, the broken, the disabled. A reward. Can we just sit with that? God says they're a reward. Psalm 82.3 says, Vindicate the weak and fatherless, the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. This is the heart of God towards children. This is the heart of God towards children in desperate need. You see, we don't see life the way God sees life because we replaced worship of God ultimately of worship of self. Most of my life has been around me. My heart's knee-jerk reaction, as I was sharing earlier about foster to adopt, it, it didn't just come out of the blue. I've been working on that sort of heart pattern for years. 
I was obsessed with career, obsessed with outdoor activities. If you looked at my life pattern just a, a, a number of years ago as a new believer, man, it was filled with like work. I was in the military, and right after work, playing a bunch of stuff, surfing, snowboarding, climbing. And I remember around that time, years ago, in a church I was helping lead in youth, and I had a high schooler impregnate another high schooler. And all I could think of was two things. Man, that is so messed up he did that. And then the second thing, and he better man up and fix it. Never could I ever once think, how might God be leading me to come alongside this guy? How might God be leading me and others as a family? If we're a family, and God's making a family, what does it look like for us to come alongside this guy? To share burdens with him and her. Why don't we do that? We see the beginning of the church, Christ laying down his life, rising from the dead. He sends his spirit and a new community bursts. And what does that new community do? This newborn community that God created, he calls the church. You see in Acts 4, they are sharing things in common. There's no one going around without need. Their needs are being met. They're being cared for. They're being loved. And I think to myself, why don't we read that and stop and just say, amen, God, would you make that so? It is impossible with us, but not with you. Christ died and he's alive. And I say this because that's the kind of community that is meant to flip a city upside down where people are like, wow, Jesus is alive and he's here. And it just so happens to be the kind of community that would drastically decrease, if not eliminate, the killing of unborn babies or the, or the rescue of orphans. Men taking responsibility to care for our children and the children of others. All of us becoming willing to opening up our homes and lives to pregnant mothers. We'd be considering and asking the question, how might I come, come alongside foster care, adoption, and being willing just to come before God. God, what would you have me do? You are here saving and rescuing. You are at work bringing about families to those that don't have families. What would you might have me do? You see, this is the kind of rescue mission God has intended to send us on for the sake of those who are broken and needy. And God calls us now to step in and help the lives of those who can't help themselves. But why don't we? How do we? The Bible makes clear we have to die. We have to die to self. Luke 9, Jesus says this, starting with verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. A vital part of God's rescue mission to unfold in this world is that we have to die to self. We die to believing that I have ultimate authority to choose what I think is best for my life and the life of others. Die to the tendency of always assuming, I, I don't have time for that, or I don't have the capacity for that. And now, those things can be true. I want to be, be really clear about this. But is God and God's family, the church, are, are they a part of the decision making? This is what God's bringing me to this week. I'm just being honest with where I'm at. And the Spirit, he wants to lead us to die to making ourselves the center of all our decision-making. I hope you guys are hearing me. You see, we can do horrific things because of worship of self. We can put a lot of stuff above people so easily. And yet, God cares. He cares what we are doing with his time because he calls you to be on his rescue mission all the time. And so how do we die to self? And this is what Jesus did for us we can't. Jesus stepped in to rescue us when we should have died for our sins. That's the gospel. He vindicated us when we were too weak to save ourselves from our sin in the coming judgment. He brought us from death to life 
through his death on the cross. You see, we, we forget that. Jesus was concerned more about saving us than preserving his own life. Jesus, who actually has authority over life, he can say what goes and what doesn't go, chooses to lose his life for our sake, even though we chose death. And he lays down his life willingly. Jesus came in and he took on himself our sin for us. See, unlike me, years ago, looking at this young man and saying in my heart, you better, you better, you better fix this situation, you better fix the problem, Jesus came in and he, what he does is he takes on our sin on himself. And he becomes the substitute for all men and women. Jesus' blood, he covers and cleanses all of our sin. Every one of us sitting here. By faith, the substitution work of Jesus, he died in our place so that you, me, all of us would be cleansed from all unrighteousness and iniquity. If you had an abortion, if you encouraged someone to have an abortion, or you've had done nothing to care for people or helped in serving in this area, like me, Jesus is your substitute. Your sin is paid for. Jesus is a Savior for all as well. He came to rescue us from actually living for ourselves, because that leads to death. And he rescues us, leading us, and causes, through his suffering, to be a people that can bring forgiveness and rescue to those who are desperately in need. Jesus saves us into a loving family. He doesn't just robe us with righteousness and save us, but he saves us to a father, to a new family, and he unites us to the love of the Father. You see, we are all needy children. That's what we can't miss. Everyone in this room, apart from Christ, we're needy children are wandering around looking where we're going to find home, looking where we're going to find a dad who's going to love us and accept us. And Jesus brings us to the end of that search. Jesus brings us to him. He calls us beloved children in Christ. By faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God makes his home, his dwelling place within us. John says, the Gospel of John says, the Spirit dwells within us and unites us to God, where we all, in Christ, have a parent. We have a Father who walks with us, teaches us, and guides us. He helps us daily say, son, daughter, that's not life. Don't go down that road. Follow me. He puts to death the flesh. He empowers, fills, and brings others alongside you to share these burdens with one another. Now here's the deal. If we don't get how needy we are of the Father's love and how much it's now available to us by God's grace, it's not our doing that gets it, we won't rightly be motivated to follow Jesus on the rescue mission he intends for the city. He wants us to get it at a place to see how needy we are. Are you needy this morning of the Father? Do you understand your great need for his rescuing of your life? For making life about you and above him? We need repentance. We need to say, God, my life is not mine, it's yours. 1 Corinthians 6 says your life, your body was purchased by the blood of Jesus. You don't own it. It's Christ. He owns you. And that's good news. That's good news. What I'd like to do right now is have, um, it's easy to hear this stuff and say, yes, God, like, I'm ready. I'm ready to follow you. Open up my heart, show me. And sometimes it's helpful when we hear from and are encouraged by stories from what God's doing within our family. And I'd like to transition to that. I would like to, we're going to talk about two things. How the Spirit would be leading us as a community 
to find life by losing it first as I have two sets of friends come up and share. The first one, Stephanie Thomas, and she's going to share, help us discern how we are to be a place of healing for those who have had abortions. And then the second group, after she's done sharing, we're going to hear from what are ways we can know, be known in the city as those who do take in the fatherless, the single mom and the unwanted child. So Stephanie, have you come up here and share a little bit about your story that might help us um, learn how to be more of a loving community to those that have had abortions? All right, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Um, a, a few weeks ago, when um, the U.S. Congress took action to defund Planned Parenthood, you may or may not know that um, abortion rights advocates took to Twitter with a hashtag called Shout Your Abortion. And it was really short-lived. It was probably 24, 36 hours of people posting um, why they thought it was a great decision, why they were so thankful for that story in their lives. And um, I listened to NPR, so I heard it. And I um, realized really quickly that that was not a place where I could shout mine. Because my story did not involve um, gratitude, it involved, um, involves regret and grief and um, walking into it believing the entire time I was doing something wrong. And um, secret keeping. And so uh, I'm so grateful that the Lord is perfectly happy for my story to be part of his story. Um, because this is the right place for me to shout mine. So what I want you to know is when I was 18 years old, a few months before I graduated from high school, I became pregnant. Uh, I was terrified and ashamed, and my dad was the lay leader in our church, and I babysat all the church leaders' kids, and I had no idea how to reconcile those two lives mm. to, together. Um, and ultimately, I... Uh, chose to abort my baby and um, went to prom with a postnatal body and went to college and uh, every single month believed I was pregnant again. I even went back and tried to do it again because I was dealing with undiagnosed PTSD and I was having dreams at night and I um, was keeping a secret. I kept it for six years and I led youth group and I felt the Lord pulling me back to him. And I, um, the whole time, really believed I had forfeited salvation. And it was such a dark place to be. And so eventually, one of my Bible study leaders said to me and our whole group that intentional sin does not remove your salvation. And I went up and said, will you please show me in the Bible where it says that? Did you really mean it when you said that? Because I just had not believed that for myself. And so I can point to assurance of salvation in the very next year. Uh, I somehow got to the place where I could trust my best friend to tell her what I had done when I was 18. And she listened and spoke grace, not excuse, but grace. And over time, people have um, said things to me like, you are not disqualified from marrying a godly man because of what you did. And you are not disqualified from parenting because of what you did. Mm. And the Lord uh, wants to show his glory in your story, even though you did what you did. And um, while sometimes 
the church has been a place where I have listened to people argue the morality of abortion. Um, sometimes it's been a place where people have spoken grace over the lives of women and men who have made that choice. I would tell you that uh, I am grieving pieces of it today, 25 years later, that I didn't know I still needed to grieve, that every time the Lord gives me a healing picture, I'm astonished at his gentle care for me, that I can say that I'm pretty sure if this were to happen to one of my own daughters, I'm not afraid of what my church body would say or think or do or not do. Um, but I can look back over my life and, and tell you all the places where I wish people had done it a little differently and maybe if that place really had existed that I could run to in Oklahoma instead of going to college in Ohio, maybe I would have made a different decision. Maybe if the church had felt like a gracious place, I would have made a different decision. But the fact of the matter is no matter how gracious anybody around me was, what I really needed was a better idea of who the Lord really was so that when I stood there at 18 or uh, collapsed at 18, I would have known my father adores me. There is nothing that I can do in this situation that will separate me from his love in Christ. And then maybe I would have had courage knowing he was with me to have walked forward differently. But that's what I long for, for men and women who are making choices about listening to the Lord about life, is for them to know more Jesus and more of our good Father so that they will have more of what they need to walk forward. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. Family, what I just want to say, how, how much we, we have, I mean, how, how amazing God's brought us to grow in grace and, and creating an environment where we can boast in our weakness, but but when I hear this, there, there, there's, there's, a, there's a hope and there's an excitement I have of how much more we can grow and um, to even be a community where it's okay to talk about these things and ask and, and to listen. There's so many, I mean, just hearing Stephanie's story, there's so much story that drives our decisions that we, we have no idea. And to sit and look at someone eye to eye and listen is the work we're called to do and understanding and and, um, and together experiencing God's grace. Because when I hear that story, I'm wrecked. Because there is so much hiddenness, family, that it's so easy to hide our deep, dark secrets. And I'll tell you right now, when I hear Stephanie, I don't know about you, but I, I just want to boast in my brokenness and my weakness because Christ's power is made perfect. That's what's happening. When we hear that, we hear freedom. Because we don't have to hide. We are not defined by our failures. We are not defined by our mistakes. We are not defined by our decisions. We're defined by what Christ has done on the cross. He makes us new. That's who we are. We're the people that boast in weakness because we're defined by Christ's perfection on the cross. He covers us. He clothes us. So Father, I, I pray your spirit would lead us in our communities to not hide in darkness, but we would come to the light and be honest about our brokenness. I pray for anyone here that has struggled with the same thing Stephanie did, that you'd bring liberation this morning. That there is love at the other end in Christ. That there is acceptance. There is forgiveness. I pray would you free us up, Lord, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
family, I, I'd like to invite two of my other friends up here. Um, they were up here a few weeks ago, uh, Hannah Moore and Stephanie Foyle. And what I'm going to have these ladies do is tell us a little bit about what they're up to. Um, as I was uh, listening to some of their stories and um, the work that Stephanie Foyle in particular is doing, it was super helpful for me to hear some next steps. Because we could hear this stuff and be like, yeah, Jesus, I want to live for you. The city needs it. There's tons of kids that are in need. What do I do? And it can kind of feel a little like, well, this is heavy. And then tomorrow comes and you, you just don't know what to do with all this stuff. And after talking with these, late, um, these women, I felt just super encouraged that I had some specific stuff so I could, I could take to God with me and Lisa could take to the Lord with and, and begin asking and moving forward with. So I'm going to have them share. Stephanie, you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about what you are um, working in the city? So yeah, I'm Stephanie. This is Hannah. And um, we're both here to talk to you guys about um, Orphan Sunday. So Orphan Sunday is an international event that sets aside a specific day every year to call attention to orphan care around the world. And that's today. Um, so many churches all over the globe are talking about this issue today and how the church can come alongside orphans. Um, yeah, so we don't really have orphanages here in the U.S. like we do, like there are in other countries. Um, instead, we have foster care. So kids aren't living in as, in as many like group settings, but they are placed in families when they're not able to live with their own. So yeah, so I work for Youth for Christ in their foster care agency. Hannah's a foster parent. Um, we have a couple other people who go here that we're either work for YFC or are foster parents. So we've got some good representation. Um, so kids are in foster care for a variety of reasons. Often it is um, due to neglect and um, because of drugs or abusive relationships. So safe and stable homes are needed for these kids, and there is a shortage of homes in Washington State, and really the whole nation, but I'll focus on Washington because that's where we live. Um, so in 2012, there were 6,000 licensed foster homes in Washington State. Today, there are 4,900 licensed foster homes, and there are approximately 10,000 foster kids. Um, so that's a 20% decrease of foster homes in three years, and the number of kids in care just keep continuing to rise. So there's obviously a clear discrepancy in the number of kids who need homes and the homes that are available. Um, so practically, this means that when kids are removed from their homes, there's nowhere for them to go. They spend the night at hotels with social workers or in the lobby of the DSHS office. So like this morning, like today, kids woke up to strangers and are not sure what's happening don't, and don't know where they're going to sleep tonight. And so social workers and placement agencies such as Youth for Christ are scrambling to find these kids at home. Um, so I realize this is really big and heavy feeling, and it is because this is reality for kids every day. Um, but we also see a lot of stories of hope and restoration. Um, specifically for YFC, um, yeah, state licensed homes are decreasing, but YFC licensed homes are increasing. We're the second largest child placing agency in the state. Um, I lost my spot. Um, and we, have, we currently have 190 homes in the greater Pierce and King County areas, and we've licensed 50 families uh, this year alone, which is the most out of all private child licensing ag agencies in Washington. Um, and we have approximately 165 kids in our care right now. So, um, so my job is a visit supervisor. So um, I get to see the foster care world up close and personal every day. When kids are placed in foster care, their parents have visitation rights, which means they are able to see their kids on average two hours twice a week. 
So my job is, I'll use Hannah as an example, because she has little Zachary. So as an example, I would go to Hannah's house, pick up Zachary, see when nap time is, see when he needs to eat next. I would take them to our facility and supervise the visit between him and his dad. So I'd sit there in the room with him, make sure that his visit's going well. And so that's what I do every day, all week. Um, <laughs> um, oh, and then I would take him back to Hannah's house. Let's not forget that part. <laughs> Get him back. Um, so I have, um, yeah, I have seen a, a lot of heartbreak, but I've also seen a lot of people leave our program a completely changed person. Um, YFC has had 102 foster children return home to a family member, which is awesome, and we are always celebrating with the family when that happens. Um, we at YFC are able to walk alongside the birth parents, encouraging them and supporting them through their visits as they go to treatment and whatever else is going on in their lives. We've seen parents walk in our doors hating us and hating God, hating life, and by the time their case is wrapped up, they are giving glory to Jesus. Um, I had... Um, and. Um, this is often evidenced by how well their kids are cared for in our, in our program. And um, I had one mom recently, I was at a treatment center with her little one and her, and she was like, I just tell the foster parent, like, I can tell she's so loved and so taken care of, and just thank you for that while I'm here in treatment and getting it together. Like, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. So um, that's where, like, we get to, that's what we get to do. Like, we can come in and um, show love and healing to both the children and to the birth parents. Um, so yeah, it is awesome to see the power of the gospel work out in such broken lives, and I'm really honored to be a part of that. Um, so yeah, so that's the side of foster care that I get to see. I get to see this in between of like kids seeing their parents a couple times a week, but then also um, living not with their parents with someone else. So um, yeah, it's an honor, and there's lots of hard things, but also so much like, yeah, healing and restoration. So, um, as St I Stephanie, real quick, did, yeah. isn't, what, didn't you tell me too, YFC in Tacoma, like there's, like that's rare what they're doing in Tacoma as far as foster care and foster to adopt, like the um, program that's happening in Tacoma, it's not something that they're doing in a lot of other places? Well, our, how we try to um, do foster care is more like holistic in the yeah. sense that we are, it's, it's a foster care ministry. It's not just foster care. So we are able to uh, minister to the kids and yeah. be there for them. But we are also, like, a lot of us visit supervisors really are focusing on, um, on the birth parents and are able to, like, come alongside them and encourage them and help them. Because, I like, I know the kids are taken care of because I know the foster like, awesome foster yeah. parents like Hannah. Like, I know the kids are being cared for. But, like, some, a lot of times our birth parents aren't, be, aren't cared for well. So um, that and... Uh, is that what you were yeah, saying? Great. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, as I said earlier, Hannah is a foster parent and has a different perspective or a view into foster care than I do because I'm not a foster parent yet. So, um, so now she is going to share a bit of her journey. So yeah, my name is Hannah and I, um, my husband and I, my husband's name is Todd. He was up here last week talking about Europe and he's gone again this morning. Um, but we have four kids. We have four biological kids that are between five and 11. And we have been foster parents with Youth for Christ for about two years. And we have also a little foster boy named Zachary, and he turned one two weeks ago. You probably see us carrying him around. He's a beautiful little boy. And, um, yeah, we picked him up at four days old from Tacoma General. So we've had him since that time. And um, I want to tell 
a little about our journey into foster care, but I want to begin with a story, a short story. It talks about our motivation um, for foster care. And we, we had had Zachary for maybe two or three months, and I went to our kids' public school office and, uh, to take care of something. I can't remember what it was. And I went in there, and the principal kind of looked at me, looked at the baby, looked at me, and was like, I'm confused. I know you're pregnant. And this happens a lot. <laughs> and I said, no, I was not pregnant. And so the story came out about Zachary. And so she said, can I hold him? You know, so I went and did a couple things, came back, she's holding him, and she says to me, and at this moment, actually, my son's teacher came walking in, his fifth grade teacher, and we're talking, and she said to me, how do you, how do you make sure you don't bond with this child? Um, because if he leaves, it would, it would be heartbreaking. And, um, and actually, before I could even, like, think what I would say, I just said, well, you do bond. You do bond with these kids. And I said, what we believe, my husband and I believe that every child deserves to be loved so deeply by a family that if he leaves, their hearts will break. Like, this is what every child deserves. And um, it just came out of my mouth. And, and right when it, those words came out, the principal and my son's teacher and I were just, like, quiet. We couldn't say anything. We looked at each other. We looked at Zachary. And it was, like, a sacred moment. And we just didn't speak. And... Um, I was driving home, and I was like, Lord, what happened there? That, was, that felt like a holy, sacred moment. I didn't know what was going on. And, and he just talked to me and said, well, that's what I've done for you. You know, I, went, I sacrificed my life. I stepped into suffering for your good. And so that's what foster, foster care is, a, a beautiful picture of the gospel, that you would willingly do that. It's a picture of what Jesus did for us. And so he said, that's why that was a holy moment, because the gospel was spoken. I, I did it through you, and that's why everyone stopped. Because the gospel is powerful, and it's beautiful, and it makes you stand still in your tracks. <laughs> and so um, I say that first because I want to say the motivation to do foster care or adoption is Jesus. We respond to his love for us, and that is why we do it. No other reason. Um, I want to tell about our process. Why did we do this? Um, before we got engaged, which is like 16, 17 years ago, we had talked with each other about we wanted to marry someone who, was op- who were open to adoption. Um, and so we both were like, yeah, we are, and anyway, we got married, so we had talked about it years ago, um, we got married, had four kids, and so when our youngest was one, we started saying, well, this whole thing we've talked about on and off for years, are we supposed to do this? Like, if we are, we should do it now, you know, and so we started praying and researching a bunch, talking to people, there are other foster families that part of our body we learned from, and other people, and we always thought we'd adopt internationally, but we started to research, and we did not, we realized there's this huge, there's this foster system. There's thousands of kids right in our, in our state, in our city, who need homes. They need mommies and daddies either temporarily or forever. And we just didn't really know it existed, which is kind of crazy. I think we weren't aware that there's all these kids in need of families. And so we started learning more and started wondering, should we do this? And, um, but it, was, it took us a while to make the decision. <laughs> I'll tell a couple, I want to tell about one moment for sure that helped us, and I was driving to Seattle in my car, it was pouring rain, and I listened to this song, it was about just having a grace-filled environment for your kids, and it moved my heart, and I felt the presence of God very strongly, and felt him say to me, I want you guys to go for this, but it, I was like, oh, and, um, and I, you know, we'd thought about it for years, but when I felt like the, when the Lord really was telling me, hey, I want you to obey and do this, Every part of me just went, no, no, I don't want to do this. I am full of fear. And the fear just came rushing in, and I started to argue with the Lord. 
and I had some, well, but, but this, but this, and I started to argue with him. And each, each thing, he came right back and spoke to my heart in a very clear way. And it's a conversation that's, like, clear. It's, like, four years ago, but it's clear in my memory. I, I began weeping. I should have pulled over. I was weeping, and it was pouring rain. And, um, but first I said, I said, but what about all the work? It's like, why, why take on extra work? I have four kids, seven and under. I feel like I'm at capacity. Whatever capacity means, I feel like I'm there, right? I just don't know if I can do this. And so he said to me right away, in kind of a teasing way, um, he said, Hannah, would it be that terrible if you, um, if you needed me more than you do right now? And would it be that terrible if the community around you has to help you and you have to ask for help because you need help? You know, and so I was like, okay. And the next thing I said was, I just said, but I'm not, I'm not a good enough parent yet. Like, I need to grow as a parent. I'm, I'm, um, I said, whoever all those amazing parents are out there, like, they should adopt kids. They should do foster care because I'm just a struggling mom, you know. I get angry. I yell at my kids. I feel terrible. I struggle to be organized. I feel like I'm really not together. And I feel differently than I thought I would feel in my 30s with several kids. It's like every day is kind of a touch and go. I'm a hot mess a lot of the time. And he just said to me, Hannah, the last thing that your kids need, whether they're biological kids or foster kids or adopted kids, is a mom who doesn't understand how desperately she knows Jesus. And you know how much you need me. And you qualify. Like, I, don't, I don't need those kind of parents. Um, I was like, okay. And the hardest thing, and I said, but what about my heart? What about all the pain and the hurt that could come? What if it's so, so hard? Um, I just don't think my heart can handle it. And he said to me, you know, I made you. I know you. And um, would you be willing to trust me with your heart and your kids' hearts to do this? And it was a very sweet ask. Um, and I was kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I'll have to think about that. Like he was proposing or something. I was like, I just don't know. So anyway, so I went home and told my husband about the conversation. It was a pivotal conversation, pivotal truths from the Lord. Another time after that, I was talking with him. We were on a date, and I was, telling, I was getting cold feet. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about this. And I, was getting, I said, I, these are all the reasons why I think we shouldn't do this. And my husband listened. I, I talk more than he talks. Some of you know that. And um, he listened and he listened, and he finally, I finished, and he said, you know, Hannah, all your reasons, they make sense and they're legitimate, but they were all about you. They were all about you and your fear and your desire to protect yourself and to protect our family and our kids. And he said, what about the kids? And, he's, and I, we realized, like, yeah, if you consider all these kids and how much it would benefit them, then it's almost a no-brainer. And so still took us a while, and we finally decided to become foster parents, and so we did, and um, it's been about two years now, and it has been um, very challenging and very beautiful. I would do it again. We're still doing it. Um, our kids have been shaped a ton, and so have we, by caring for little people that Jesus loves. We've become, um, I've realized how hard it is to trust God, I'm way back to being a baby again. Like, I'm just like, it's so hard to trust you. But he's teaching us little by little what that means. And what Randy talked about, the, the main verse that came to my mind, and what have we learned, and I really believe, like, we are experiencing true life because we are giving our life away. And we're experiencing true life, and that comes in the form of 
incredible joy at what we get to do. It is a blessing that we get to care for this little guy. It is our blessing. It is our privilege. And um, so we've been changed greatly, and we're glad we're doing it. Um, and I want to say, like, I know God may not be wanting everybody to become a foster parent. That would be wild if everyone in this room did that. We have so many kids. Um, but I would encourage you to boldly ask what he has for you to do. Is there, is there a family you can support? Jamie and Kyle are going to have two kids that are coming home soon. They're adopting. It's beautiful. How can we help them? How can we love them? We're so excited for you guys. <laughs> um, but I don't know what it would be, but if, if you ask God, what do you want me to do, and he tells you to do something, it's for your good, and it's for his glory. And a long time ago, I used to think if I asked him, if I was like, I'm willing to do anything, that he would ask me to do something that I would hate. I didn't understand that my father is good. So if he says, will you do this, it's for our good, very much so, and his glory. So, Can, um, bef- I- I'd love for you to pray for us. And, sure. and, but before you do that, I, I just want to confess, like, I, so I, I'm with you guys, and I'm, I'm hearing her right now, and I just feel like me and my wife, where we're at, we're, we're in, me and Lisa are in this place of like, yeah, that, that scares me to ask God that. And at the same time, there's a conviction going on in my heart. And maybe for some of you guys, like, we, we get to. And we get to find life. I don't even know what's going to happen with Lisa and I as far as, like, foster to adopt, adoption, or, or, or some other ways that we're going to hear. But I, I feel like this little kid just taking these little steps forward, going to a daddy, like, Daddy, I trust you. And, and, and I'm just I'm learning to even ask the question of that where I get to start assuming that my life is not mine anymore. And, and, th- and this conversation is, is taking me down to a very sober place that I've been wrestling with that I didn't even know. And I don't know if that's some of you guys, but that's how I'm feeling right now. And uh, I, I would love, sister, God's given you grace just hearing you. You have a lot of grace he's put on you. It's, and I, and I, I think just praying for us, for God to liberate and show us what's next for each of us would be super helpful. Yeah. If you could do before that. Before Stephanie finishes. Yeah, before Stephanie. Sure. I, I think right now would be great. Yeah. Yes. Father, you are... You are a perfect daddy, and you love, I don't, it's, how you can love all the people in this world is just unfathomable. You're amazing, and you love specifically every child who does not have someone to say mama and daddy to, either right now or forever. You love them, and you have a plan, and I'm glad that you want us to be part of that. I really believe from scripture you've made it clear the church is your chosen vehicle to care for the fatherless, and so, um, this is a huge privilege, and I, I pray that you would um, use our little Soma Tacoma family yeah. and then the greater family in Tacoma and these, this county and this state and this country and our world, that we would be known as the people who care for the kids, either temporarily or permanently, who need mamas and daddies, yeah. that um, it would be a great witness. Lord, would you lay it on the hearts strongly of anyone here in this room right now who you want to enter this in some way, shape, or form. And actually, I believe you want everyone to be caring for orphans and fatherless at some level. So I pray for conviction. I pray against fear. Fear is not from you. Anything you would have us do is good. It's good for us. It's, it's for your glory. So we, um, I pray that there would be no fear in our hearts as we come to you as a little child and say, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. I know you'll empower me. In your name, Father, amen.